Hello. I'm here starting this. <laughs> You're talking about myself. <laughs> awesome. I'm so good at that. Bethany's favorite pastime. Welcome. Yes. <laughs> talking about Tenny's pizza, which if you know me, for one, I feel like I'm a pretty healthy person most of the time, but I love pizza. Like it is the one thing in life I will never give up. If someone says to do this diet, you can never eat pizza again and be like, peace out, never happening. Truth. But you have two things, pizza and alcohol. You won't pass up. those yeah. two things. No, nope. yeah. you tell me those are off the list. We're not friends anymore. It's not <laughs> happening. But if you are trying, there are times when you got to like pull it together. Like, hey, I got this trip coming up. Oh wait, that's not happening right now. But <laughs> you want to like get healthy for a little. There are times you got to like tighten up your diet a little mm-hmm, bit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, not having some cheat days for a little bit. We have actually some really healthy options. So don't sit there and be like, well, I can't order pizza because. It'll make me fat. Liar. <laughs> well, it's like even with me, we we uh, we just we're in, we're in this gym challenge where you had to eat a certain way. I literally ate Tenny's pizza every single day, yeah. but I had the cauliflower crust. And guess what? Homeboy's got a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and it's so like honestly, it's like my go to. I love the cauliflower crust, and I'll get like chicken on it. It is really good. Chicken or some people. Everyone's got a different diet they're on. That's fine. The keto crust. Is that one for really us has been good. killing it. So on this podcast, we had Drew Manning, which is like Mister King keto. Dingling of keto. Keto King Dingling. Yeah, he. Uh, He's been plugging us like, and he not like it. we've been paying him or anything to do it. He just, I have it on there. He said, this is the best keto out on the market and keto nice. pizza on the market. I'm like, hell yeah, it's the That's best right. keto. But a lot of you guys are on keto. It only has four grams of net carbs per slice or five total grams of, is it of, yeah, carbs. Yeah. Carbs. Five grams uh, total, four grams net per slice. So it's a great way if you're on keto to be able to stay on keto and still have pizza, which normally you cannot do. Well, and it's kind of nice. If you've got a bunch of kids, you can be like, okay, well, I'm going to order these for the kids and I'll get myself a keto crust. I'll tell you guys, I so the gym challenge thing or whatever, we started keto hardcore and I've done freaking awesome. I will praise myself. So yes, has Brindy. We're tapping you on the back. Killed right it. And I could not tell you how much of a lifesaver that keto pizza was. We would have it once a week at least it it tastes just like regular pizza i i actually really like the crust even I, not doing I, keto i thank I you for the delicious. plug i don't ever eat the keto pizza because it's really really good it is good it is. if you're on keto i would yeah. not suggest people that love pizza just to order the keto crust right. see that's how honest i am i could have totally just taken that and been like yes here but. the rest of us that are not on keto for sure. Don't get the keto crust. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's good, but it's not better than our the normal cauliflower crust. crust however, the cauliflower crust, however. The cauliflower crust, I'm praising it because I, I love it yeah. for someone that eats normal pizza all the time. The right. keto crust is still good. I still like it. Oh. I don't like it as much as the other ones. Yeah. And the cauliflower, I will say, my kids will eat it. Boom. They all, all the time. They eat it, so. Boom. As always, boom, <laughs> and we have Stephanie Christensen here today. So excited! Who's become one of our really good friends, and she's like the funnest person to hang out with. Me and Kevin always talk about our favorite thing about you, Steph, is you are always down to hang out. 
will be like, oh, we're not doing anything tonight. What should we do? Let's, let's call Stephanie and Kevin. I bet they'll do something fun. You guys are always up to do something fun. We'll be like, do you want to go watch a game? Do you want to come over and have a drink? Do you want to, like, you're just super cool about it. I'm so not like that. I'm way too lazy. I'd be like, I'm in my pajamas. You don't seem that way. You're not lazy. You're, an- <laughs> yeah, you you're not lazy. You're antisocial. Just I'm a little antisocial. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally like in my sweats right now. Oh, it's fine. Hardly. This is how I work. Well, and it's funny because most of the time when I do get a text from you, we're, we are in the middle of doing something. It's usually related to the animals, the chores outside. <laughs> Kevin's on the tractor and I'm doing something outside. So I'm like, oh, yes, we're in. You're like, get me out of here. <laughs> as soon as Don't I, I tap this. Kevin, we're going out with Teddy's tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, love it. I love it. I It's seriously amazing because we're not very good planners. We yeah. never have been. We're very much like, it's Friday night. It's like seven o'clock. Should we do something? Yeah. And so you guys are really good at moving with our no plans where it's like, hey, we're going to go out to dinner. Do you guys want to go? Yeah. Not very many people are like that. Well, and you remember the one, even when our well was out and I was like, well, I will, if it's okay, if I shower at your house first. <laughs> that was my favorite. That's when I was like, yes, I know we're good friends. She's totally comfortable taking a shower at my house before we go out. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. You did hear that right. Everybody. Her well was out. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, because you guys live out in... Cedar Fort. Cedar Fort, a.k.a. the wilderness. No, just kidding. (laughs) They live like on a farm. Yeah, we have like seven acres. It's not, uh, it's nothing fancy. We've got six goats and eight egg-laying hens, a turkey, and a rooster. Which, by the way, I ate all those eggs. They were awesome. If you ever need to get rid of eggs, I will take them from you. I meant to bring some. I just told Matt that. I have your bowl. I forgot to bring that too. That's okay. So yeah, Stephanie so. has a cool story and well, it just your, your life in general is just, it's not the typical. And so I want to know where, where are you from originally? Oh, well, this is the thing too. I kind of feel like everybody has their own story to tell. So I don't feel like I'm that exceptional, you know, but looking at a series of events, I think, man, my ACE score is probably, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really high, but um, I've been lucky. Your aces score? <laughs> yeah. You know the... Yeah, yeah. Do okay. you, uh, the listeners don't know what that is, right? The, the aces was this test that they did back I think in the 70s or the 80s. It was actually Kaiser Permanente put out, and there's eight questions on this test, and you answer yes or no to these questions, and it's basically just like, how freaking gnarly was your childhood? Trauma, yeah. <laughs> yeah, did people... Did you grow up with somebody who went to prison? Or did you... Uh, parents get divorced? Were you ever hit? Was mom ever hit, right? Like, all these things. Was dad ever hit? Was somebody actively using drugs in your house? And you just kind of, like, dink them off? Like, oh... And anything above three, they count as, like, an adverse childhood. And what they did when Kaiser did this this study is they basically... They were trying to figure out, like, how to, like, treat physical ailments... And they did this study and they found that like people with like major health problems, the one common denominator amongst all of them, even if they were different health problems, was their ACEs score. And so now So a lot of a lot of health problems can stim- be stimulated from well, like, it's, mental it's or phys- or childhood emotional trauma. trauma. Right. Okay. Child childhood trauma. So this was like the first 
Sorry, you shouldn't have said aces. Here we go. Matt's no, off for the okay. races. No, this, no. I think it's fascinating. I didn't well, know because childhood trauma, that's, that's my thing. That's what I do, right? Like yeah. anybody who comes to do treatment or whatever, they're always like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, we're going to talk about when you're a kid. And they're like, I don't want to talk about that. It has nothing to do with it. I'm like, well, let me tell you about the aces <laughs> test. So you're well in the know. So your aces score, you're like, oh, it's probably pretty high. Yeah, I've studied a lot about it just um, in like self-help things. And um, of course, in education, I'm an educator. So, so I've read a lot about that. So yeah, um, like where did you grow up? Because this I don't I don't remember actually. I grew up in Missouri in a small uh, town in the northwest corner of the state called Maryville, and everyone knew everyone. You know, everyone goes to one elementary, one middle school, and one high school. So we all grew up together. You can no one gets away with anything in a town like that, <laughs> right? So there's good and bad, right? Yeah. Okay, mom, dad, brothers, sisters. My parents were divorced for as long as I can remember. And I actually found a, a paper from uh, from when I was digging through my stuff before college. And I found out that they were divorced when I was about three months old. So he was kind of the um, the dad that would pick us up on weekends or, you know, whenever he could. He was a truck driver and would take us places. And sometimes I'd go on uh, road trips with him in his diesel. And so we drove many, many miles together. (laughs) I actually did not like it, but I didn't like, I didn't like him, but, um, (laughs) but I liked the experience of being able to see new places and stuff. And you have just one brother? I have two older brothers. Okay. Um, so our mom died when I was in the eighth grade. And oh, this is, I feel like our, our common, one of our many common bonds. <laughs> How old were you? I was almost 14. Sorry, I've been thinking a lot about this today, actually. You're doing great. Um, we love tears here because that means you're like being honest and real and mm-hmm. stuff. It's, it's badass. Keep going. Um, mostly because I was thinking about this earlier today because my oldest brother and I, um, I, he was in, he was a senior in high school when, when she passed away and my other brother was a junior in high school. I was in eighth grade and it was the first weekend that school had started. Um, she got in a car accident. My brother was my oldest brother. Sorry. No, don't. You're doing great. You're, tell it the way you feel it. Don't, don't feel like you have to hold back anything. Like he tears was, or anything. <laughs> he was in a, in a hospital about 45 minutes away from our house. And my mom worked a couple different jobs for our family. And um, she, she was going to pick him up for the weekend. He was... Um, he had had suicidal attempts, and um, so he was getting help in a in a hospital about forty five minutes from our home. And she got off a night shift of work and was going to pick him up for the weekend, and um, fell asleep at the wheel and got in a head on car crash. And she was in a coma for two days before she died, but. Um, that brother, I I always worry about him 
And so I, I do try to talk to him regularly. We just talked a couple days ago. But he's doing really well, actually. But I still just, I just worry about him, you know. Yeah, because you kind of, if, if I understand it correctly, like when mom passed away, you kind of took on like this mom role, even though you were the youngest for your brothers, right? I, I sort of did. I felt like I did. But that's like even like the, the energy time. you gave is like this really like caring, loving, motherly mm-hmm. energy, which is like my favorite thing about you, but. Yeah, he, um, I, we were kind of all separated. We were separated at the time. Um, an LDS family took me in. We were Catholic previous to this, and I tried to continue to be an active Catholic, you know, <laughs> going whenever you wake up or going when you wake up in time. Um, for sure, Christmas and Easter, things like that, our family went. Um, but I, uh, yeah, my my brothers both went to different families and I went to this LDS family. And so our lives just took a different turn. You know, we all went in different directions and they thought that since I was later adopted by the LDS family, they thought that I didn't want anything to do with them. And I just recently found this out, but I tried to explain to to them that that's that wasn't the case that it was I didn't I didn't have a choice in the matter I was basically told that I was living with this new family and I had to live by their rules go to their church and I wasn't since my brothers weren't members and had different values or whatever that I I wasn't able to hang out with them and their friends because they, because they drank or they were partying and things like that. And so I essentially like was ripped away from them. And so I've, I've been trying to rebuild those relationships with them. Which is like this secondary abandonment Mm -hmm. trauma. Yeah. Right? Like the only yeah. stability you have left after you, well, a third, right? Dad, mom, brothers, and you're just kind of like, oh, I'm super alone now, I guess. And <laughs> Yeah. Well, and you probably wanted to belong to that family that you're living with, too, as much as you're like, maybe didn't care for and need the religion side. It was just like, well, this is where I am right now. So you're trying to fit in as best you can. And safety, right? I mean, it's tr- yeah. like the most basic of all human needs is is to just feel, to have some sort of like certainty and safety and predictability in my life. And I'm trying to create this new life and everything's so unpredictable. And these are the people I'm supposed to rely on. And now, wait, they're ripping my family? Oh, God, how? Yeah. Confusing for that yeah. little girl, huh? My goodness. Yeah, it was, Um, I don't know. I guess I just, I, I wanted to fit in there. I wanted to do the things that I was supposed to do as I learned about the Mormon church. And, and I, and for the most part, I, I knew I could be on board. You know, I wasn't going to drink alcohol. I'd already made that decision. I wasn't going, I the word of wisdom and the, the laws of chastity, those were like easy as a, you know, 13, 14 year old girl. And, um, it wasn't until later I, I found comfort in it all. I remember thinking, oh, I can have, I'll, I'll see my mom again. I'll be able to be with her again. I, this, we learned about eternal families and this is great. And, um, 
And then it came to the point later when I was able to do temple work. And um, I wanted to do my mom's temple work. So I started it, and um, I found out I couldn't be sealed to her. I had already been sealed to this LDS family that had taken me in. And so I was really... I, from then on, I had a shelf. I just, I, once I realized I couldn't be sealed to my own mom, I, I knew that it wasn't the church I was going to stay in forever. So, well, that's heartbreaking. I feel like, and people who are in the church understand and people who don't, I guess I just want you to understand like this whole sealing process. It's a big deal when you're a member of the church, you feel like it's a make or break. It's the only way you're going to see your family in the next life, whatever that means. It's it's very, um, it can either be mentally like and emotionally reassuring or it can wreck you. And I have found both in my life. There were times when I found it very um, hopeful and supportive. And then there have been times that it's really wrecked me and really been a tough thing to swallow. Yeah. Well, I always just, I just always had questions about how am I, how's this going to work out if I can't, I'm not going to be able to be, be even in the same kingdom as her. And I have family in Japan that I still kept in touch with on my mom's side. And I thought I tried sending them a book of Mormon and, <laughs> and later we learned that they, they're like, we're flexible. We can be whatever religion we want. And I thought oh, that is a great way to live. <laughs> and so well, yeah. Less pressure, huh? <laughs> yeah. And and then my two biological brothers, they weren't uh interested. One's born again Christian, the other is unsure of anything. So and they're both content in the in what they believe. So and I just thought, well, they're never gonna be Mormon. This is not gonna work. Yeah, because if they're not Mormon, then <laughs> Yeah, I'm not gonna be with them. I mm-hmm. I don't know. I just felt like there was always this like nagging or some kind of shoulder weight for me that I just felt like, how is this life going to work out? What's going to happen after this life? And I just wanted to stop worrying about it. Have you kind of reconciled some of those beliefs? Like, do you believe something now that's comforting or helpful, or do you not know? Or where are you at with it now? I am unsure, but I'm also comfortable with not knowing. I, I don't feel like I can ever really know, even if I continue to search or... Um, try to find some something that fulfills it. I I don't know. I just feel like I'm okay with not knowing exactly what's what's going to happen after I die. I actually think that's so. like an incredibly healthy way to think, <laughs> like from my upbringing, because nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows. People yeah. can say they know. People can think they know. People can hope they know, but nobody knows. Yeah. And so being comfortable with not knowing but living your life the way that makes you happy and fulfilled, I feel like is a very healthy way to live. For yeah. sure. Well, yeah. and, and you look in like common sects or religious beliefs or whatever, one of the core tenets, I think we've even talked about this on the podcast before, is faith, right? Which, you know, there's a million different ways to explain it, but really the thing behind having faith in something or believing something is just... I can't know this thing for sure, so I'm going to believe it because I want to, because it's helpful, because mm-hmm. I see how I see evidence that that's probably going to be something that helps me in my life. Yeah. What gets really messy, right, 
is where you have doctrines or teachings or people who come in and say, hey, guess what? You don't need that anymore, right? I got some answers for you. You can throw that stuff aside and just do what I tell you to do and you don't even need that anymore. Like do the thing that the way that I say and then you're going to have certainty, which feels like safety. It feels like, oh, I now have answers to these huge questions. And I was actually listening to this really cool podcast yesterday. <laughs> this, the, Rogan had this guest on and he is, this is this guy's expertise. He's a college professor, tenured professor, and his expertise is in religion, death, psychedelics, and sexuality. That's what this guy I, I studies and teaches. <laughs> it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Anyways, but what this guy, he, he said, it was totally accurate. He said, religion is our answer to trying to make sense of death, the end, mm -hmm. yeah. which is totally what it is. It is. It's totally what it is. And so if death is something that we actually can't make sense of at all, of course we're going to be grasping at straws. But the moment, in my opinion, the moment somebody comes up and says, hey, I got some answers and you don't need this faith thing or this belief thing anymore and you're going to know for sure what's going on, I have become extremely... Skeptical. Skeptical. Sure. Almost resistant when somebody says mm -hmm. something like that. Because it just, it just feels like there's... The, but the whole point is that we don't know. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Yeah. And... So I love I love that you're just like I, I I'm not really sure anymore. Yeah. That's exactly where I'm. Well, about it. I think because, because you can be. Yeah. yeah, for so long I felt so sure that one way was the was the way, and when it didn't work, it really didn't work, and so and it brought me a lot of stress that I didn't even realize that I had until I until I decided. It wasn't right for me. And then I felt like this huge weight was lifted off and I don't have to worry about what's going to happen after I die. My, how's this plan going to work out? I just stopped worrying about it. So how long did you live with that family? Oh, from age? the time that I was 13 until through the end of my senior year, 18. And then where'd you go? And then I went to Rick's College in Rexburg, Idaho. I left like four days after graduation. <laughs> I could not wait to. You were ready. Yeah, I just I think I was just ready to explore that great big world of Rexburg. <laughs> Is that where you met Kevin? Yes, we met um, that first summer after high school. But he lived across the street from me. But we never dated or anything. He had a girlfriend back home, and I was dating a. I started dating a different guy, and. Um, but we hung out a lot and, and then he went on his mission and then, um, yeah. And after he, we continued to write through his mission. We just, he actually, his first letter to me was on toilet paper and he was like, I, I'm writing you this on this tissue so that you can wipe your tears cause you miss me so much. And I was like, <laughs> Kevin, who, who's this from? Like, <laughs> That's so cheesy. I yeah, love it I was so like, much. What awesome. in the world? <laughs> and we, we, it was just funny notes like that. Sometimes he'd write notes in like cereal boxes or, you know, just funny stuff. So I kept them all and I made this little binder for him. And, uh, yeah, we just like, we developed a really good friendship and, um, and then I went to BYU Hawaii after I graduated from Rick's and then he came out to visit and it was like, I was actually dating a different guy at BYU Hawaii and I said, Hey, I have a friend coming home from a mission. I want to spend some time with him this week. He's, he's going to visit. <laughs> and the next time I talked to 
that boyfriend. I was like, so I'm getting married. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, homie. You didn't make the cut. I did not go over well. Smart for Kevin. He's like, I'll come out to Hawaii. I know what I got. (laughs) Yeah, it worked out well. So he's a freaking stud. Kevin's a a really, really good dude. That he's one of the hardest working guys that I know. Yeah. You guys both are. That's fully like work ethic is kind of like your like jam, huh? So what did you graduate in? I did special education. So which is to me like I I feel like if there is a heaven, anyone who does special (laughs) because that is such a what's the word? It's like so much fulfilling, but so much like emotional, like attachment and working through like patience. Like, I just think it's incredible. I thank you. I, I can't handle just my own kids. So I think, (laughs) well, working with your own kids is definitely the hardest. Even working with my own kids is really hard. So, so you guys went from, where'd you, where'd you live once you got married? So let's see, we moved to Idaho, lived there for a little bit while I worked on, I had just a little bit left of my bachelor's. Um, So I started at Idaho State University and they actually require you to dual major. So I started doing the L-Ed and special ed program and then um, it was going to take me another two years. (laughs) And so we ended up moving back to to Hawaii. I finished up in a semester and then... um, and then he continued on there. And then after Hawaii, we moved to New Mexico. We lived there for a year. He started a, um, a it was called Neighborhood Gold. It was a down payment assistance for home buyers. So we s- did that for a year, then moved to Ohio. And we were in Ohio for like nine or 10 years doing kind of the same thing. Um, he was, he was doing that and it became more of a residual income for him. So we bought some franchises, filter fry. Uh, you guys <laughs> talked to Teddy about that. Seriously. Like there's, we learn something new about these guys every time we hear with them. I'm not exaggerating. Like we just learned the other night that Kevin's a nurse. That's when he went to nursing school. Was yeah, when he Kevin's had a registered that. nurse. Never knew that. Wait, well, he kind of what? had like a, <laughs> I know. See, now, now you need to have him on here, right? It was, it's so cool. No. Um, he is a jack of all trades, and he's brilliant. He like oh. The way he does stuff. It, anyways, you guys are incredible. Thank you. Um, and humble. And Most then, people don't respond like that. I want you to know. You give a lot of, I give a lot of people compliments. We give a lot of people compliments. Most people are just like, thank you. They're like, oh, you know, and they like downplay. Like, I love that. Like, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, trying to make you blush more. Sorry. <laughs> Then let's see, we moved to Utah kind of to be closer to family. Um, and the opportunity arose for him to come out here. And he ended up starting this manufacturing company out here with an engineer. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we are now. Okay. So, question Yes. Where has your dad been through all this? So, he still lives in Missouri. Um, I haven't. I haven't seen or heard from him since my mom died, since I think the day of her funeral. And that was kind of my, in my mind, that was my plan. I just, I never wanted to, I never wanted to see him again. He was abusive when I was younger and, um, he molested me and, and hurt me physically. So, so you're like, get out of my life. Has he tried to come in at all? No, he hasn't. So 
Have you heard any, does he, is he in your brother's lives at all? He was for a little while, I think, um, in the beginning, but I think that they've both been able to get him out of their lives as well. So what's that like for you now? Um, I think now it's just like, I'm more protective of my own kids. I don't want them to, um, I, I talk to them a lot about like, if they go to someone's house, I don't prevent them from sleeping over at people's houses, but I do talk to them. Um, at least I did in the past more just, you know, being able to talk to me that, you know, their bodies, their body, no one should be touching them without permission. Um, I've been vigilant about that as well as like helping them understand why I feel that way. They know all about Fred Bacon, (laughs) you know, they know, they know that he was abusive towards me and, um, that they'll never see him that, and he'll never have anything to do with their lives. I'm just kind of waiting for an obituary to surface. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's really important. I feel like something I've tried to do with my kids and I don't even feel like I do a very good job is tell, explain to them where I came from and, and like those types of things, like this is why I feel the way I feel. This yeah. is why this matters to me. Because I think sometimes we get in the mode of, I'm the mom, so do what I say. Yeah. I, I know better. I'm smarter. I'm older. Whatever. Instead of like explaining, here's why. You want to know why I don't want you to do this? Let me tell you what I did. Yeah. And I know maybe, I don't yeah. know if that's like right or wrong, but totally. that's how no. I feel. I feel totally. like my kids are going to learn better from me being honest and telling you know, my shit, like totally. just telling them how great, no, I had a great childhood and <laughs> such a good life. And that's why I want you to have it. No, like here's the things that happened to me. Yeah. Like, not that you can't tell the good too, but for sure, just sometimes tell the bad where it's like, here's what happened. And this is why I'm a freak about this situation because here's what happened to me. Yeah. And I think it helps the kids, um, realize that you, you had shit. Like you dealt with stuff and you know, you, you can sympathize better. I don't want my kids to think that I had some perfect life. They know I didn't. (laughs) So I think it's funny that I had some, you know, that I was a a perfect kid. I know I wasn't. I, uh, you know, so I, I just want them to know that I'm a, I'm a person and I have faults and I screw up and I still do. And I, I apologize to my kids so much, like. Oh, that's so huge. I just feel like they need, they're not going to learn to apologize to me if I don't apologize to them. They have to know that even adults make mistakes. Mm-hmm. 100%. Adults are like grown up kids. We just, we never figure it out. We're, I'm going to leave this earth with not having figured my shit out. So, <laughs> you too. Join the club. No, I think that's really so cool I, because, like, I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, look, I, especially with my girls, I'm like, I didn't have a mom when I was your age. So I don't know how to be a mom to you as far as like having this example. I just don't. Yeah. I'm doing what I think I should be doing and I'm doing the best I can. But when you have girls or you have daughters or whatever, if you feel like something I did or the way I was wasn't how you, then don't. I'm not offended by you doing it different because it's like, like you said, I don't know what I'm doing. I am guessing yeah. and I'm taking my best guess every day. Yeah. So if your guess is better than mine, oh, please do it. Yeah. Like take it and run. I, I read somewhere or heard it in a podcast. It's terrible. But 
um, that if there was a, you know, if the five steps to becoming the best mom or the five, you know, five quick ways to this worked, then we wouldn't need 50,000 books written about it, you know? And so (laughs) everybody's different. Every situation is different. I, I love stalking my daughter on, on Instagram right now (laughs) because she's, she's such a social justice fighter and she just gets it. And things that she is sharing and, and learning about are things that I am learning about. And I think, oh man, she's so far ahead of me right now. And she's 18. So I, I agree. That's like Brevin, my 20 year old through all this political stuff. It's been super hard for on me and he's different from me. We think different. We have different views. We voted for different people, but we get along. Yeah. And I love like he sat and talked to me in my kitchen a couple weeks ago about like why he felt the way he did. And then I explained why I felt the way no fighting, no right. arguing. It was so cool because I feel the same way. I'm like, you're so much smarter than I was at 20 yeah. and you are going, your life is different. Your culture you're growing up in is different. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know yeah. how you feel. Cause I don't mind changing. But I need to sit and like have someone talk, you know, be nice and talk to me and <laughs> yeah. not be angry and talk to me. And it's it's really cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way, especially in politics. I don't know enough to feel like I can carry on a, a really good political conversation. Um, but I, I love hearing we have different points of view in our house and I love I love hearing all sides. I think it's great and I but I love to hear why. Mm-hmm. Why you know, why they feel the way they do. So I totally agree. Yeah, well, and, and cool. I think there's kind of a, there's a bunch of different theories about parenting, right? But one of the ones that I really like is, so, so you, you can be an authoritarian parent, right? An authoritarian parent is like big me, little you. You do what I say because I told you to. You are going to follow the rules because that's how things are going to be in this house, right? And it's this yeah. authority figure. And what you teach Children, and, and it's okay, it's not bad, it works, mm-hmm. right? What you teach children is respect, and that's great. And they're respectful, and they see you as an authority figure. And studies show that later on in life, your relationship begins to kind of deteriorate. Because if I'm an authority figure to my children, and I don't need authority anymore because I'm responsible and I'm autonomous, and I can think of my own, my relationship with my parents is going to kind of dwindle. And that's what happens. Yeah. There's another style mm-hmm. of parenting that's called the humanist humanistic style of parenting. And this is what we're describing where I look at my kid and I see him and they see me and we are both equally human Mm -hmm. going through this really insane, difficult experience. And both of us have ideas about how to do it. Some I'm going to teach you. And guess what? Some you're going to teach me. Actually, I would say my kids teach me more about and remind me more about what really matters in life than anybody else. If... Mm -hmm. I'm willing to listen. And when I'm in authority parent mode, I don't listen. Mm-hmm. I tell. Yeah. And it's not a relationship of equals. Right. It's a relationship of big me, little you. And it just doesn't work as well. And they feel disconnected. And they're, it, it, it's, it's just different. And so that, that humanist type of parenting that we're talking about is so, in my opinion, so, so, so important. So yeah. important because... Kids Mm -hmm. just want to be seen as a part of something. Yeah. And when you're an authority figure, they're not a part of anything. But even as an adult, 
Totally. Yeah. Like I, I, cause I would say I grew up in a, an authoritarian. I almost feel like that was like, um, that's uh, how, I think that's how a, a, a lot gen- of us, generational, generational. thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, um, I don't, I'm not super close with my dad and it's not that I don't love him. It's just, we're not close because that is, it's still there. Mm-hmm. It's still, I'm smarter than you. I know more than you. I'm, and so I've taken a different route and my kids may take a completely different route yeah. and I'm totally yeah. fine with that. Just because I'm like, well, this is what I, to me, my relationship with my kids, it trumps everything, yeah, everything. And so it's like, if that means I have to swallow my pride and say, I'm sorry. And, and you know, admit I'm wrong a lot. Totally worth it to me. Well, and yeah. for, for you, like, I think having a mother relationship is like unbelievably important for you because. Because mm-hmm. I never I had that. Mm-mm. And I would imagine for you, it's the same thing, right? Like, I just want. I want for my children what I wasn't afforded. And I think that's why for you, the humanist kind of style of parenting just comes really naturally, which I think, I think it's wise to kind of take a step back from that and realize like, oh, if this is like the natural thing that we just kind of do when we really go into our hearts and ask ourselves like, how do we want to connect with our children? God, maybe, maybe, maybe that is, I don't know if better is the right word, but at least as effective as the authoritarian way and possibly selfish. We have to acknowledge that too, right? Like selfishly, I really want to have a relationship with my kids when I'm older. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't t- want I to see me that. as an asshole. So I'm going to kind of, like, <laughs> I'm going to kind of pass the buck a little bit. Like, I want to oh, be friends. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. 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 And, and you can have, there's different types of friend relationships, right? Like it's, it's not a horrible, awful thing to be friends with your kids. It's actually probably really good. Cause I don't know, maybe they'll like feel safe and like trust you and come mm-hmm. to you when they have problems. And yeah, yeah. Tell you things sometimes you don't want to hear. Yeah. 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 How many times have we? Yeah. How many times have we talked about stuff that our kids tell us? They're like, I never would have told my parents that. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Right. And it, yeah. there's a there's a little scared part of me in there that's like, well, call them. I'm like, if if they trust me enough to come to me and tell me this stuff, am I like condoning it? Am I like giving them permission to like make these mistakes? I don't think that's necessarily I don't true. Either. I actually no. think it's quite the opposite. I think it removes the shame because sure. for me as a kid, I couldn't tell my parents when I made those mistakes and I just kept making them over and over and over and tried to hide it from them until I got caught and then I just felt like a horrible, no good piece of garbage, right? <laughs> well, at a certain age, I mean, and you know this because you have three of your kids are adults, right? Two are adults, yeah, and then two are teenagers. Um, <clears throat> but it's like condoning what, I don't know, with my kids, I'm like, so my two adult children, I'm like, uh... I'm pretty sure they're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Whether I say it's right or yeah. wrong. So I'd rather just be able to have like real conversations about what's For going sure. on. Yeah. We had a, a friend of ours recently messaged me saying, Hey, I really like your, your son. Uh, my oldest son. I don't know if I can say his name. Can I say his name is Brady? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he messaged me saying, I really like him and I really appreciate, you know, his his thoughts. I think they had some social media uh, banter, banter <laughs> that went down. Actually, our friend blocked Brayden, and um, so he's like, "I just want you to. Um, can you just tell him that I that I think that of him, and that I'm sorry for whatever happened or whatever." And so I I just I let Brayden know, and Brayden's like, "That would actually mean something if 
he hadn't blocked me already. And, <laughs> and like, he could, I'm an adult. I was like, I know you're an adult. I, I don't know. What like, to say. I'm, ju- I'm just a middleman. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of interesting. They are, they're adults and they're going to have their own fights. They're going to have, you know, they're going to fight for what they believe in, fight for what they want. And I'm not going to step in. I'm, you know, oh, they're it's, make it's actually mistakes. fun for me to, to watch from a different perspective as, you know, just a, another human in his life and, Mm -hmm. and not feel like I need to say, Hey, Hey, you need to filter that or something. I just, I like that. I like that they're becoming who they're, who they want to become. And you're allowing them to, which is, yeah. Um, I, I don't feel like I had that opportunity for so long. And so maybe I'm a little more lax in it even, I don't know, but I feel like um, I, th- I feel like it's important for them to step up to the plate when they want to step up to the plate and, um, have the courage. I, I didn't have courage for a long time. I think in standing up to my own, I don't know, demons, if you will, um, growing up, I, um, when I was taken in by this family, um, there were so many things that just didn't feel right to me, but I, I kind of ignored it thinking, oh, this is how it's supposed to be you know, um, Christmas rolls around and they buy me presents and then say, okay, this is what we spent on Christmas for you. You need to write us a check. You're going to pay this amount back to us. And I, and I just thought I'm just going to get like a Twix bar next year or something. Cause <laughs> I don't, I didn't ask for any of this stuff. this stuff. Yeah. I didn't, ask me. I didn't ask for a CTR wow. ring. I didn't ask for new scriptures. I didn't ask for any of this stuff. And so it was, um, it was frustrating to me. And I didn't learn until later that my brothers didn't have that same situation in their, in the homes that they were taken in. And so that was hard for me. Earlier you said like, you felt like maybe you didn't have as much courage then as you do now, right? Like you yeah. didn't have courage when you're a kid or something. So what do you feel like if you could pick a couple of experiences or one where you were like, this is kind of where I learned courage. Think of anything. Oh, yeah, I think the ability, just having the courage to, to question my own, my own belief. I, mm. I, um, what gave you that courage? Like, was there experiences? <laughs> was there moments? Was there thinking? Was it a person? It was thinking for sure. It was thinking about thinking over and over every new ward that we had, um, gone to I'd I'd and you know the bishop wants to get to know you and I'd say here's here's my situation I was born to you know this mom and I was later adopted by this family and I I'm told that I can't be sealed to her how is this going to work out (laughs) I asked it so many times and they're like well you just need to have faith that it'll Mm -hmm. all work out and I got so sick of that I just thought this is not like if we have all the answers here, this is not a good answer for me just to have faith. Yeah. Yeah, we have, we what have all the answers, like? but we don't know the answer to this one. Yeah. So just have faith. So it wasn't until later when my own husband's grandma, um, she, she was married to her husband for like just a few years, like maybe five years, six years. I don't know. He died and they were actually never sealed, but she uh, was sealed to him after his death. And we didn't find out that until just recently, but she remarried and, um, was sealed to her next husband after petitioning the first presidency for many years. 
and finally was able to get it approved. And that was heartbreaking for Kevin because his grand, his first grandpa, you know, he's like, he got the shaft. He was sealed to her. He, you know, what's going to happen with us? Like, are you going to cancel our sealing if I die and you're going to be sealed to someone else? Mm-hmm. And I thought, I I don't know how to even go about this. This is weird. It, I was like, we'll just pinky swear that I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and we'll call it good. He's like, okay, fine. But it's kind of like a, it's always been like one of those nagging questions for me. And I, I was gospel doctrine teacher at the time that I learned about the second anointing. And, and I just thought it said specifically in the manual not to talk about it. And I thought, well, I'm going to at least learn about it then. And then I just, I went down a rabbit hole and, and Kevin was in his own rabbit hole too. And we had, we finally talked about things and we just, yeah, we just were able to question openly. And we had a lot of closed door discussions, um, so that our kids, we weren't like impacting them because this was all new to us. And, um, yeah, we just like both realized we've got to figure out how to get out, (laughs) Quietly. <laughs> Quietly. Mm-hmm. You know what's super fascinating? Yeah. It's fascinating that that sealing stuff of parent, like like I said, it's mm-hmm. you don't realize unless you're really entrenched in that in the religion how important that is. And right. I remember when because my mom died when I was young, yeah. and I remember when my dad remarried or when he married my stepmom now, and she's great. But I remember when they got sealed in the temple, and I was devastated I was like wait you're sealed to my mom it's like well I can be sealed to both and I'm like so now we're polygamous yeah I didn't sign up for that I I did not join the I'm and nothing against polygamous I freaking love you guys yeah but I did not join that I didn't sign up for that in my mind so to learn about that that was for me like you talk about shelf where you set things up they're like eh this doesn't feel right but I'm going to set it aside for a minute yeah. Until there's too many doesn't feel rights, which there was. But I I get that feeling that you're saying with you and Kevin where you're just like, this is such a big deal. Yeah. And the way you're telling me and the way this is looking for me does not feel right. It feels actually completely wrong that, okay, so my dad's going to be married to two people now in heaven. And my mom didn't have a choice in that. So I'm assuming if that's how it works, right? So anyways, that's... It is. It's a big deal yeah. to people when you're in. So I think, I think circling back to courage, I think I finally had the courage to allow myself to, to say, this is not the religion that I signed up for. This is not what I, um, what I, what I agree with. And so it may work for some people. It doesn't work for me. And it, and I think I had to just allow myself to. To say that, you can't you thing. can't hear your stomach growling through the microphone. Don't <laughs> worry, a scary thing. <laughs> it's a so. scary thing. When I I love the metaphor of the shelf thing, right? Like I think everybody has we have like these shelves, and we're constantly shelving stuff, mm-hmm. right? And there's like a a religion shelf, and a this shelf, and a that shelf, and a whatever, and and the. The metaphor that's used all the time is like, well, this is the thing that broke my shelf. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, right. everything came crumbling down. And I was just like, oh, boy, now i got to pick up the pieces. There's all these questions that I had. And <gasps> what do I do? And what I, what I love about when my shelf broke or whatever you want to use yeah. was <clears throat> I think 
I was able to kind of look down at all the pieces and then look up and all of these people whose shelves had also broken were like, Hey man, me too. <laughs> That's how me and Steph yeah. met. Totally. Yeah. So we, cause when you go through a faith crisis, what we call it, um, there's a lot of like support groups you can join. And yeah. there was this, I don't even remember which one, but an Exmo group on Facebook. Well, I think that one wasn't even an Exmo group, right? It was a thoughtful faith, which was oh, thoughtful transitions. Yep. That okay. was it. Right. Anyways, it was, but it was a lot of people going through faith, faith transitions. And Stephanie reached out and was like, Hey, like we kind of live out by you guys. And we've, Share and our names run, Kevin and Bethany, Kevin and Stephanie. Yeah. <laughs> and we kind of shared some, because you kind of share a little bit on that page. Yeah. And we'd share some similar experiences. And so she's like, hey, do you guys want to meet and go out to dinner sometime? And me and Kevin were like, yeah, we totally would. Because you are constantly, it's like you kind of lost this tribe and you're looking for a new one, yeah. you know? And you're like, I'm looking for people now who won't judge me for having this new opinion, this new thought. And so yeah. anyways, that's how we met, like what, three years ago? I think so. And it's yeah. just kind of grown since then. And I'm not on any of those pages anymore because I don't feel the need for it anymore. Yeah. And I, and I got to the point where I felt like the, the new person coming in was me and I wanted to be there for them and say, Hey, we're here for you. But at the same time I was like, been there, done that. And yes. I'm, it was, I'm just kind and of, you get to a point find their where own you, tribe. you've moved past. <laughs> yeah. You're like, so. now I'm, I'm now to this point where the anger, the bitterness, that's all gone. Yeah. I've moved past. I've developed this life that I really enjoy. I'm really happy with. So yeah. I don't really want to go back there. And yeah. if you need help, I'm totally here to talk. But I can't dive back into that again. Well, that was right. hard. There's a, there's a lot of freaking big emotions that there come are. up with all that stuff. And, and triggers and that can set you off. And it's hard and it's confusing. You don't know what to do. And it's just like, I've mm. kind of got some answers or some... I don't know, some new stability that really feels great. That old stuff that used to keep me stable, like I don't even need to worry about mm -hmm. it anymore. Yeah. I'm not even mad that I can't be stable with <clears> that <throat> anymore because I have this new stuff. And, and I don't know, maybe it's like better. <laughs> yeah. For me, yeah. Yeah. For I sure. had someone More freeing, say, for sure. yeah, yeah, I had someone say to me actually that we're just so sad for you. And I thought, you know, how about you don't be sad for me and I won't be sad for you that you're still in it and yeah. we'll call it good. Like sure. I, I don't want you to be sad for me. I, I'm more happy now than I've ever been. I just, I've, I just had so many questions, too many questions that I never felt like I could ask, um, because it was either something that wasn't really talked about openly or um, people just didn't have good answers for me. Okay, so question, because so, I know this is a big thing. Yeah. So you're going through all these changes. You're learning things. You know, you're you're finding yourself yeah. and you're being brave. Yeah. How does that affect your marriage? You know, I think for us, it's been, it hasn't been easy. That's for sure. Because we are, we have tried, you know, you're, you're, figuring out your new self. And mm -hmm. for us, it's been harder because the, at least for Kevin, I think, and maybe that's his story to tell, but his, his bubble, his, the perfect, you know, package that was all wrapped up nicely with our pinky swear that I was never going <laughs> to marry anyone or be sealed to anyone. Um, after he died or, or whatever, it, it kind of burst 
And so for him, it's all he experienced. For me, it was different. It was more of a relief. Um, I, and so we got to a point where he's like, I don't see how you can't be traumatized from this. And I'm like, I don't see how you are traumatized from it. So we just had different perspectives, but it's been, it's been good for both of us, but also difficult. It's, you know, people say, oh, you just wanted to live an easy life because you wanted to leave the church and have it so easy. It has been the hardest thing ever, especially families, um, relationships. We negotiated our exit for a very long time because we knew, we knew that we would hurt relationships. People don't want their kids to play with the kids that aren't Mormon or, you know, Stephanie drinks coffee now. A lot of coffee. Well, and, and there's that awkwardness, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like just like... you go like, to a family event and you're like, yep, we're the... We're the Exmo. Yeah. And so what... We're the rebels. Yeah, so people don't want to talk about it. We did have um, one couple talk to us openly about it. They they were like, let's talk about the elephant in the room. And we're like, oh, sweet. They want to they wanna know, like, what happened to us. Yeah, they want real. Yeah, and she... She actually said, my, my friend said to us, your leaving the church has been the hardest thing on our marriage ever. And I, I was taken back. She was, she was crying. She was really hurt by it. And, um, I was like, uh, I didn't even know how to respond because I thought my leaving the church has affected your marriage. Like, can you even think about mine now? Yeah. <laughs> can you and, even imagine? And and I, in my mind, I was re, I was reviewing things that I knew about their marriage that they had, they had gone through bankruptcy, infertility, a son in prison, um, you know, divorce, things like that. And and I thought, but m- this, my leaving the church is the hardest thing on your marriage, and I just couldn't even wrap my head around it. Damn. So. I think too, sometimes, and I think this is typical, not just of leaving religions, um, getting older. Like I'm recognizing now, you know, we're in our forties and it's like this midlife weirdness, right? Our kids are getting older and becoming independent. And so therefore we become a little more independent. And I think we either as married people, we either grow together because we're Mm -hmm. changing, we change Mm -hmm. together or we grow apart. We Mm -hmm. change apart. And I've seen both and I think it's really hard. And, um, I think the cool thing watching you and Kevin, and I feel like it's very similar to a lot of our friendships has been, we try, we work really hard to grow together, even though it's not easy. And there is a lot of strain there and there's a lot of, you know, issues with in any marriage. So it's been fun to watch you guys because you come from such completely different backgrounds, but you know, you're constantly figuring it out. You're constantly working through things. And I think it's, it gives a lot of hope to other marriages and other people when they see people working because yeah. marriage is work. Yeah. And I think that religion, I think taking religion out of marriage, um, helps you to, to really reevaluate what you want out of your marriage. I'm not married to him because of a, of a religious commitment. I'm, I'm married to him because I want to be married to him. Um, I mean, I see religious people, I guess I can call them religious people. Like my parents, for example, are still married, but I don't look at them and think, wow, they're really happy in their marriage. Yeah. Um, I, 
I feel like they coexist in a, in a relationship, in a house. I don't feel like that. And I never, I never want to have that kind of relationship. I think that that would put me to an early grave. <laughs> I think I would be miserable and, and be ready to. Where you're with someone now. And I feel the same way. You're with someone because you want to be with them and not because. Because I be, have to be, not because I because have to be. Because otherwise you're ruining your next be. life. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So that. I'm not just enduring it, you know, mm-hmm. and that's something that Kevin and I have revisited multiple times just because, um, yeah, I think especially in the beginning when we were, when we were out of religion, you know, it was kind of like, well, what are we, what are we doing this for? What are, you know, what's the purpose of our marriage? And I think we're, we're in this to win it. We're mm-hmm. <laughs> in it to win it, you know? Um, going through life together, helping each other out and not just enduring it. But I, uh, we want to have fun. I want to have fun in this life. Oh, so, I say I'm going to enjoy every second. Yeah. yeah. So what do you guys think are some of the st- things that, that work well? Because we talk about this work of marriage, yeah. right? Like what are some of the things that you feel work well to help stay connected, to grow together? Oh, man. So for us, like encouraging each other in our in our own personal goals. I have put off doing my master's for so long and I and it's something that he said you should just do it. You should just do it. And finally it was like do it now. <laughs> and I needed that. I think I just needed I needed the coronavirus to happen so that I could have some time at home to get started and yeah, it's been I think that's definitely something that's been good for me. Um and for us to do, you know, like him supporting me and it has been, has been monumental for me. So that's cool. And I think then it turns where you probably want to be some more, even more supportive of what he wants. Yeah. So supporting like dreams and goals of each other. So that would require us to also know each other's dreams and goals and talk about those and understand what that means, which means, you know, everybody always says in relationships, number one thing is communication. I wouldn't say it's number one, but it's super duper important. Yeah. That we know, right? So if you if you're like, I know my spouse's goals. Do you really? Are you sure? Why don't you ask them? Yeah. And that is a hard thing. Like it is. when you talk about this leaving religion stuff, <clears throat> um, Kevin and I, when we were in the church and before we left and stuff, there were things he had shelved and things I had shelved. We didn't even know about each other. Yeah. And I think that is and for me, that's not healthy. Yeah. Like we should have known those things. I should have known his struggles in the church. I did not know. He didn't what? want to tell me. I think it's why typical. Do think, why do you think we didn't talk about why do you think for didn't fe- about Because it? fear. What fear of what? He was, he told me, he said he was fearful of telling me his issues with the church because he thought I was so like hardcore that I would leave him. And that we wouldn't stay married, and that is a real thing because it does happen it does all the happen time. And it's so well, and it's it's, it's typical. Of, it's typical of all relationships, not even just with religious stuff and faith stuff, sure. right? There's we talked about politics earlier. Yeah, right? we talked about raising kids, how I want to raise my kids, and how she wants to raise her kids. It's very different. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes where you know Brandy's doing her thing with the kids, and I'm just like, I, I, I don't agree. Do <laughs> I would do that. Right? I'm totally judgmental, and. I can do one of two things. I can look at her and go, I wouldn't do that. Oh my gosh. I'm such a better parent. <laughs> and then keep it to myself or maybe so just when you're judge. S- when you're saying like being more communicative, right? Yeah. It's like that is so much 
bigger and deeper than what I would have thought of years ago. For sure. Yeah. Where it's like, you need to communicate everything. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard. Yeah, I think it's just the, mm-hmm. the vulnerability piece, yes. right? Just to take down your walls and say, this is who I am. You got to take me or leave me or leave me or work with me. Like, okay, so here's some of my issues. Here's what I've got going on in my head. For sure. If you love me, help me. Well, and and when I get vulnerable, I create the freedom to be accepted Mm -hmm. and rejected. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and unless I'm willing to let the walls down and recognize that I do have my own judgments and that we're going to do things differently and that talking about doing things differently doesn't mean that we are going to grow apart. Yeah. Right. Actually, it means we're probably going to grow together because I can learn something from this person who I've committed my entire life to, who Mm -hmm. our children share DNA. Yeah. Right? Like marriage or raising kids or whatever, whether that's spousal or not, it, it requires us. It obligates us. It begs us to get vulnerable with one another. And if you think about it, right, like sex, sexual intimacy by design is one of the most vulnerable things that you can do with another person. And when you're in a committed relationship and you're doing that together, think about the next couple days after you get it on, right? What's the connection like? It's good. Yeah. It's better. It's different. Do you want to know why? One, you exchanged like a bunch of chemicals and stuff, which is awesome. But two, it is a state of vulnerability that feels safe and has a lot of pleasure attached to it. So it gives it, it's really enticing, right? Yeah. But why is that the only state of vulnerability that's okay in a marriage? Maybe not the only, but definitely the one that feels, I don't know, the most pleasurable. I keep going back to that, yeah. but, but there's other, there's right. other states of vulnerability. There's other things you can do being vulnerable that actually are just as wonderful and pleasurable and connect you just as much as sexual intimacy, which is super, super cool. Only problem is, but I think they go you got to step out of a ledge. So I think right. they go like being able to be vulnerable in your experiences and your communication and everything's going on in your life. Well, that leads you to be more vulnerable sexually with your spouse. And so then that it all gets better, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you feel yeah. safe. So you're like, okay, now I can really tell you this stuff and here's mm-hmm. how I really feel. And here's mm-hmm. what I really want. And that's not easy. Right. So if you don't have, if you're not safe, Mm-mm. that will never happen. Well, and, yeah. and when you, when I do work with couples, inevitably sex always comes up. And so whenever mar- the marriage topic comes up, I've just decided, like, I got to talk about sex because it's so important. Yeah. And right. once you learn to communicate in that way, like in your, you know, your private little bedroom thing, and say, like, oh, I like this, I don't like this, I do like this, I don't. Like this. It's like Sexy Mike was telling us, right? Mm-hmm. That translates over to what's going on outside, right? So Brindy's doing a parenting thing, and I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't like that. I can come up to her and be like, hey, I don't like that, and brace myself for the defensiveness initially. Because it's going to happen when she tells me that I'm, she doesn't like what I'm doing. I'm going to get defensive. That's normal and natural. Seeing underneath that, recognizing that other human beings are allowed to get defensive and I probably hit a nerve and she's probably hurt, give it some time, circle back to it again later and have the conversation again. Mm-hmm. So, so, so important. I would say yeah. if I could pick one thing that is helpful in marriage in relationships, whether that's intimate or not, with your children, it's the circle back. I agree. Right. 100% yeah. it's the circle back. Something happened, 
not good time. Let's circle back to this again later. People don't do that. They no. really don't. They it, really, and that and is such a key component everything. for communication. Oh, it's huge. Even friendships and relationships. It's, I think it's important to be like, oh, yeah. okay, this happened and now I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah. I yeah. was just listening to that in um, Brene Brown's book. I've listened to it a couple times. The uh, Brave. Brave in the Wilderness? No, it's the leadership one. Oh. Um, I know you're talking about the Reddit too. Dare <laughs> to lead. Dare to lead, yeah. Not brave. Weird that we talk about Brene Brown. Gosh, it took us 59 minutes to get, get, a, get a Brene Brown <laughs> reference. Well, yeah. Steph, I want you to know I've learned a lot from you, and I feel like I've I learned a lot. This is my favorite thing about doing this podcast is um, it's nice to see other people, how they've gotten through things and then how they're living their lives because I feel like that's how we all learn from each other. It's like, okay, so... I remember when we talked about that we had both lost our moms and I was like, oh, well, what's your been your experience since then? And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'm good. I'm, uh, <laughs> that is that's in my mind, obviously, really hard. Right. Yeah. So anyways, it's been good to see like it's always good to see other people and what they've gone through because everyone has a story. Yeah. And then how'd you get through it? And then yeah. it's. It's hopeful. It gives a lot of people hope. I know. Sometimes I feel like got through it, and then other times I think I'm still going through it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kind For of sure. a a thing that will always be there. Sometimes I can talk about it really easily, and then other times, you know, I can, you know, bullet point, <laughs> you know, and then other times it is more of, of a touch and go um, emotional thing for me. So well, I totally I agree. I, it's like scarring, right? Yeah. You have scars on your body, and some of those scars have a lot of meaning to them because they're representative, right? Like I just went and um, I just went this morning and got my hair cut from this awesome woman. Her name's Amanda. She works in American Fork. I'm going to plug her, Bootleg Barbershop. <laughs> Unbelievable. She's, she gives me some of the best haircuts I've ever had. She's incredible. She just got back from brain surgery. Oh, wow. And she has this super awesome gnarly scar right down the back of her head. And I look at that scar, and I go... That's a badass scar. Like that scar represents strength. That mm. scar represents so many things. Why is it that our emotional scarring doesn't always get viewed that way? Maybe our emotional scarring is representation of the most difficult moments in our lives. Really deep pain, especially emotional, spiritual pain, mental pain scars us it marks us it also makes us who we are and those are the moments of greatest strength right in order to grow a muscle you must tear it first so that it can repair emotionally mentally spiritually we are constantly growing and tearing and being ripped apart and that's why it's so painful and that's why there's so much suffering and the people who i've met and who we've brought on the podcast who really open up and are like yeah my life has been full of suffering always the most badass people mm-hmm. always because they own their shit and they're like I, I look back on my life look how much stuff I've been through so what still going through it yeah. that's my favorite thing you've said this whole time I feel like I'm still going through <laughs> it yep you are so am I so is Bethany so is everybody else mm-hmm. and so is everybody listening hopefully realizing like I'm not alone in this thing we're all going through it and you never yeah. get past it no it won't ever end oh, yeah. either it's not supposed to yeah, right? and I and so many times I say I want to you know get past just leaving the all the you know I've left I all move the past groups. it leave it behind yeah but I circle back to it sometimes you know I have moments where I'm like oh I get I get frustrated and I 
have to, you know, take a social media break because yeah. I hate seeing quotes from people or whatever. Yeah, whatever. I just well, like anything that's triggering. triggering. It's yeah. yes. like you said, it's like it's almost like you have a scab and you feel like you're it's all clearing up. Yeah. And then someone kind of pulls it off and you're like, like Oh yeah, why did you do that? Again, or I'm hurt again or I'm crying again yeah. or I'm where you're like, oh, I felt like I was good. I felt like I was in a good place. Yeah. Cause I I do. I think it's it's a constant, it's gonna be constant like healing. Well, and, and when mm. I'm in that place where I'm kind of like, I might be able to like kind of sit back and be like, oh, things are good. Inevitably, inevitably, something happens to like wake me up. Mm-hmm. And that's, those are those moments of courage, like we talked about earlier, where you get to kind of decide like, okay, is this a wake up call or is this, I'm going to bitch about my life yeah. moment. Am I going to sink do? into a chair and what cry and not <laughs> function anymore? Or am I yeah. going to get up and keep moving? Yeah. And yeah. Try I definitely again. am one to find distractions. So... Me too. You know, working yeah. on my master's. That's a good, that's a great distraction. <laughs> that's yeah. interesting you call that distraction. I don't know if I would call that a distraction. <laughs> that's a lot of work. That's growth. That's strength. That's, I actually think it's brilliant. That's your freaking mind awesome. on something else so it yeah. can't yeah. wander. Well, I do I, think that's cool you view it. that as a distraction, though, because that's a hard thing to do. And that's a really great mentality to have. It's just like my normal day to day life, I distract myself by learning and growing and actually getting it. A degree under my yeah, belt. continued and change instead of like yeah. my distraction is to wallow and <laughs> watch my Real Housewives of whatever. Did we watch that Real Housewives of Salt Lake last night. Me and Stephanie were just talking about crazy. Oh they, my gosh! Ooh. I mean, it. I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to. It, yeah, especially after talking it's to you. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. It is. Especially because it's the one from here, and you're like. Oh, there's a little crazy and a lot of real, like it's a little psycho. So yeah, yeah it's it fun. Hit home a you little know, bit. it's just fun. one of those. It's kind of like I love like mindless TV. I people think it's the weirdest thing, but if I'm doing nothing or if I'm tired, I want to watch mindless TV. Yeah, and that's for me mindless TV, where it's just like numbed out. And I watch and I'm like nothing. Uh, I like my life. Yeah. <laughs> it puts into perspective good. how good you have. My friends, Look at are these people, they have awesome. tons of freaking money. Wow, I do not want that much. No, like <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good, good for that. Yeah. Kevin and I thing. like to watch those Caribbean life. The you know we always yes. dream. We've dreamt about it for so long, mm-hmm. and so when we took that vacation to Utila, we're like. We dream about it. We're gonna. Are we gonna be sixty and still talking about this and dreaming about this? Or are we gonna do this? And we're like, we have to do it because if it doesn't happen right now, right now while we're standing on this beach, we. Oh know, yeah, they're building a, a house in Tuila or Tuila Utila Utila, Utila. Utila. <laughs> not Tuila. Very different. Very different. <laughs> Utila, a Caribbean yeah. island, which is yeah. super. I I love stories like that because yeah. I feel like that's what Kevin and I are constantly trying to like we're moving towards that. We're like, okay, if we have a dream, let's do, do it. it. Yeah. Cause who the hell knows how long yeah, we're going to live or what's next. Make it happen. So do it. Yeah. And the yeah. cool thing is, is once you realize uh, Kevin's actually helped me learn this a lot, like why not? Yeah. What just ask that yeah. question all the time. Just like make that a part of your regular vocabulary. Why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah. Just do it. Let's, why not? Make it happen. Yeah. You have zero limitations. Why not? Let's do it. Yeah. Ask for help. It'll happen if you want it. Yeah. It's awesome. And you guys are definitely super amazing, like, I don't know, the poster children of 
we're just going to go live on a farm. We're going to do what we want. We're going to freaking raise an awesome family. We're going <laughs> to go build our own house in the Utila and hang out. It's amazing. But you have to take like a little small boat to get there. We have a boat there actually. So <laughs> I know we're, we're coming to visit yeah, as soon as it's to. all ready. We're going to come for sure. So is the reality show still happening? Yeah. It's a documentary. Documentary. Got it. So as far as I know, they haven't canceled it, but still waiting yeah, still on, on filming. But so they are going for like two weeks over Christmas. Yeah, we're going to, we booked tickets to go there. For awesome. Christmas so with cool. the kids and stuff. So Cool. So stay tuned, people. Yeah. Yes. Maybe you'll be seeing Stephanie <laughs> and Kevin. And on Bethany a, on and our Kevin. mockumentary. <laughs> <laughs> in the middle on some <laughs> island in the Caribbean. Sounds yeah. like a dream. It'll be fun. Thank I'm excited. You, dude, you're awesome. Thank yes, you. Thank you. Thank you. This was great. Thank you.